Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Good morning, everybody. It's um, good to be here this morning. And um, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, it's very difficult to think about it not just being a story, but being reality sometimes. So, and these are real people doing real things with real lives. So today, I want to just start by making something clear. This morning, I'm not Graham Ashby. This morning, Matthew, I am Paul the Apostle. (laughs) And I am here this morning to tell you about my life. I want to tell you my personal story about something that happened in my life and what it meant to me and what happened. Now, I was a missionary. This is my second missionary journey map. And I travelled all around the Mediterranean. But in particular today, I want to show you about this part of my journey, from Philippi to Athens, where I stopped off in Thessalonica and Bira and then Athens. But why did I ever do this in the first place? Why would I want to travel around the Mediterranean? You know, I was the chief of sinners. I did so many bad things that I couldn't even really talk to you about them. They were so terrible. I murdered. I'm ashamed of what I did. But one day on the road to Damascus, I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, it totally changed my life. Meeting Jesus inspired me to tell other people about Jesus. So I just couldn't stay put. I had to travel around and see all these different people. I had to tell the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, these events happened a long time ago, and you'll have to excuse me if I look at my notes. (laughs) (laughs) So times <laughs> Sometimes there's been a lot of water under the bridge and you forget about these things, even though they were very dramatic at the time. <laughs> so I want to tell you about this adventure. My friend Luke wrote it down in Acts 17. You can read about it later. I'm going to divide my adventure into three sections. What happened in Thessalonica, 
what happened in Bera, and what happened in Athens. So, Thessalonica. We left Philippi and we passed into Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the principal city in Macedonia. Do you know what? God loves mission in Macedonia. (laughs) Amen. God loves mission in Macedonia. He sent me to Macedonia, just like maybe he's sending some of you also. And when I got to Macedonia, when I got to Thessalonica, I went to the synagogue where I knew some Jews were meeting because that was my custom. And I spent three Sabbaths talking to the people there, my people, and explaining to them from the Scriptures exactly who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, that he had to suffer, and that he rose again. I had to spend all that time explaining it to them because they weren't expecting a suffering Messiah like Jesus. They were expecting somebody to go and defeat the Romans. But I showed them the prophecies in the Old Testament. And I showed them how they were fulfilled in Jesus. And I sat with them. I talked with them. Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. And I said to them, this Jesus that I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. And some of them believed and they joined me and Silas. But only some, only some. But many of the Greeks did and lots of women too. And I'm glad lots of women did as well because I've had a bad press about women over the years. But I was sad that so few of the Jews responded. You know, I can speak words of wisdom. I can express the scriptures. But not everybody believes when I speak. I have to accept that not everybody will listen to what I say. But I carry on speaking because I know there are those people who will believe. And who will respond. So I do not give up. But these Jews who didn't believe, they got so angry. They were jealous of all these Greeks who came to faith. And they stirred up the ruffians in the town for a riot. And I don't know if you've ever been in a riot, but a riot is not a good place to be in. It was scary. We had to run. I was staying with a guy called Jason. I couldn't get back to him to warn him about it. But the other brothers, they protected me. Silas was with me. And Timothy. And poor Jason. They got to him before I could warn him, as I said. They dragged him before their officials. And they made him promise that nothing like that would happen again. Luckily, I escaped. But I wouldn't have escaped if it wasn't for the friends that I had, the brothers. And you know, I wouldn't have done that missionary work at all in Thessalonica if it wasn't for the friends and the brothers that were around. 
You know, the Philippians, they sent me some money to help me while I was there. And I wrote to them afterwards to thank them for it. If it wasn't for the Philippians supporting what I was doing, I wouldn't have done that missionary work, and those Greeks wouldn't have got saved. If it wasn't for my other friends protecting me, I may have been thrown into jail again in that situation. I'm grateful for the friends that I had supporting me, the brothers who helped me escape, and I'm grateful for the Philippians who sent me money and aid while I was there. You know, I upset the people so much because I preached about a king, a King Jesus. And the Jews, they were worried. They thought there was going to be a lot of trouble in that town. The Romans were going to come and um, stamp on them because I was preaching another king. But it is another king. There is another king. And there is another kingdom that is different than the Roman Empire. That is King Jesus. And he is worth talking about. So then, I went to Bera. The brothers sent me and Silas by night to Bera. And when we arrived, we went to the Jewish synagogue again. You know, if I had a bad experience in one place, it's not going to put me off for doing it again somewhere else. Because I have this burning in my heart to give the gospel out to the people. And I want to speak to the Jews. I want them to know that this Jesus, he is the Messiah. And these people, they responded better than in Thessalonica. They searched the scriptures to see if what I was saying was true. You know, when you hear something, you can never unhear it. You have a responsibility to do something about what you hear. And those Jews heard me speak about Jesus, the King. They had a responsibility to do something about what I said. They could never, ever be told, uh, or never, ever say they'd never been told, because they had been told. They had a responsibility, and they took their responsibility, and they looked into it for themselves. What was their response going to be? What was their response going to be? Because once you're told, you've got no excuse. I often think, why were they different than the people in Thessalonica? I think it's because they had open, soft hearts and wanted to seek the truth rather than the people in Thessalonica. May we all also have open, soft hearts as well so we can seek God's truth and come to understand it and live it in our lives. But I still had trouble, even in Bera. I still had trouble. Those Jews in Thessalonica stirred up trouble for me there also. Even though the work was going so well, it had to end so quickly. And I had to leave. I had to leave. And I was sent away to the coast and then to travel to Athens. Athens was a spectacular city. 
with the Acropolis, the Temple of Athena standing above it all, temples all around, the marketplace, the Agora, and Mars Hill. More of that later. When I came into Athens, my spirit was provoked within me. My spirit hurt. Because as I looked around, all I saw was idols and people worshipping idols. How was I going to respond to that? First of all, I went into the synagogue and talked to the Jews, as was my custom as I done in Thessalonica and in Bira. But I just didn't stay in there. I couldn't stay there just in the synagogue. I had to get out and talk to where the people were. So I went out in the marketplace. And during the daytime, I spoke to the people where the people were. I spoke to them and I shared with them who Jesus was. And in that marketplace were philosophers. Because Athens was famous for the thinking people. And there were different types of philosophers there in Athens. Two particular types that <clears throat> came up against me to talk to me were the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, it's far too complicated to go into everything that those guys were into. But let's just say the Epicureans believed with, about God, that God was very separate to the world, a distance apart. And the best thing to do would be to have a good life and live peaceably. The Stoics were more pantheistic. They believed that divinity or God was more like a force. And it was somewhere in the world and somewhere within. And maybe you could draw it out. And lots of these philosophers were critical about the idols around as well. However, they still took part in the idol worship, still took part in some of the sacrifices that were taking place. They said to me, and they weren't very polite, what does this babbler wish to say? He seems to be preaching foreign divinities. That's because I was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. And I think some of them got a bit muddled up about Anastasis and thought that Anastasis was another god. But I was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they took me to their Arapog... <coughs> I have trouble with this word. They took me to the Arapog... Arapagus, which is a Latin word for the council or court of justice. And they used to meet on Mars Hill. Now, when I say took, I don't mean they said, 
Oh, Paul, hold my hand. Come with me, I want to chat about your wonderful ideas. <laughs> it was more like an arm up the back. Because 400 years earlier, Socrates was taken before these people and charged with preaching foreign div- about foreign divinities. And he was sentenced to death for that charge. So I was scared. I knew they just didn't want to chat. I knew that I was on trial. But I went with them because I had the Holy Spirit on my side and I had God's word in my mouth to speak to those people. So they said to me, we know, we want to know what this new teaching is you're presenting, for it's very strange to our ears. We wish to know what these things mean. And this is interesting because these Athenians, all they kept on doing was wanting to spend their time hearing new things and talking about them. And this was my opportunity to challenge them. Because, you know, we can sit around wanting and enjoying listening to new things and talking about them. But there comes a time when those new things, we need to make a response about them. There comes a time when we need to do something about it. Even in this place, we may enjoy coming here, talking about new things. But maybe for some people here, it's time now for a decision to be made. No more talking about the new things. Let's decide and respond and do what God is saying. And this was going to be my challenge to the philosophers and the pagans in Athens. I was going to challenge them, not just to talk about things, but to do something and respond. So I was standing there in the midst, and I said to them, Men of Athens, I perceive that you are very religious. But I said that with a little twinkle in my eye. Like that. (laughs) because it wasn't that they were just being religious they were being superstitious because some of those philosophers didn't even believe what they were doing but they were still going ahead with it I said to them for as I passed along I observed the objects of your worship and I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God Now, why do you think those Athenians had altars to unknown gods? It's because they were hedging their bets. They didn't want to miss out on a god who they hadn't appeased with a sacrifice or worship. So they thought they'd put one to an unknown god and they could go and worship there. They were being superstitious, not just religious. 
and they were living out of fear. But I said to them, What you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made by hands. As I said that, I pointed to the temple. He doesn't live there. He doesn't live there. And this echoes what some of their even philosophers had said. Even Seneca and Heraclitus had said that God is bigger than a temple, although they didn't actually know the true God. And I said, Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't live in a temple. He's not a stone statue. He's bigger than that. I came to those Athenians to tell them who God was. I said to them, He made man, every nation of mankind, to live on the face of the earth. He allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. For he is actually not far from each one of us. And I quoted from their own philosophers some scriptures. I said, in him we live and move and have our being, for we are indeed his offspring. I showed those people they'd got part of the way there, but they did not yet know the truth. I said to them, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver, an image formed by art or the imagination of the man. I was trying to get through to them, that they knew the truth, but they did not know the truth. And that the philosophers were being superstitious. I showed my knowledge of their culture and philosophy to find common ground with those people. But I challenged them to get away from superstition and embrace the true God. I criticized their pagan religion and their idol worship, but I pointed them towards God. I said to them, the times of ignorance uh, God has overlooked but now he commands everyone to repent, to change their ways. Because he has fixed a day of judgment and Jesus is going to be that judge. And he has given assurance by raising that man from the dead. Because I preach Jesus and I preach the resurrection. And I preach the resurrection deliberately in that place because it was the word of God to those people. Because when that council was established, the legend goes that the God Apollo said, When a man dies and his blood is spilled on the ground, there is no resurrection. That whole court was established 
on the idea that there was no resurrection of the dead. But I told them that there was. Jesus had been resurrected. I think I touched the nerve because they didn't kill me. However, there weren't many converts in that place. Only a few. Dionysus and Demaris were two that I mention. No church was put in that place. Not like in Thessalonica, where I wrote to them afterwards. No church in Athens. Because the people there had hard hearts. They weren't willing to change their ways. And I never went back. But those people, they can never say they never knew. They never knew. But my missionary trip has taught me some things. What are the things that I've learnt from my trip? First of all, I moved and I multiplied. It's a result of meeting Jesus. If I had never met Jesus and what he'd done for me, I would have never gone in any of those places. Have you met Jesus? Have you got the Holy Spirit? Maybe he's encouraging you to move and multiply. No ministry survives on its own. I was supported by the Philippians. I had brothers for protection. I had Jason hosting my house. I had friends, Silas and Timothy. I didn't go it alone. I was supported by other people. No ministry survives on its own. The ministry needs help. Mission needs help. Maybe if you don't go, you are called to be a helper. You're called to be a Jason. You're called to be a Silas. You're called to give money. Living for God can be exciting, but it can also be dangerous. Living 100% for Jesus is the most exciting thing you could possibly do in your life. It's better than a PlayStation 4. (laughs) It's better than a latest movie. People, I think, are looking for excitement in their lives. Excitement can be found in following Jesus 100%. Safety cannot be found in following Jesus 100%, however. (laughs) And my life shows that. But what is important? That is the question. Not everyone will agree with you or believe what you say, no matter how clever you speak and how good your argument, but many will. Many will. Just because everybody doesn't, doesn't mean you give up. Just mean that everybody in your school doesn't, everybody in your workplace doesn't, doesn't mean you give up. You keep on going. People don't even listen to me always. (laughs) 
And I think I'm pretty good. (laughs) The gospel should never be confined to church. It needs to go into the marketplace where the people are. I never stayed in the synagogue. I went to the marketplace. It was more dangerous in the marketplace than the synagogue, although some synagogues were pretty dangerous. You need to love for people and be moved by their situation. When I was in Athens and I saw the idols, I saw the hopelessness, hopelessness of their situation. I was moved. We need to be moved by their situation. When you speak to people, you should be culturally aware Understand where they're coming from and adapt your message to engage the audience. But we need to be willing to challenge their preconceptions. We just don't bow down to their culture and live in their culture full stop. We use the culture as a way in to their situation. Because we have to show something different in the life of Jesus Christ. God is close. He's not like the Epicureans far away. God is close. He wants to be known and he can be known and you can know him too. We should turn our lives around and turn to him. The accusation when I was in Thessalonica was that I turned the world upside down. I didn't. I was turning the world the right way up. Jesus turns your world the right way up. And remember, lastly, you don't need to go far afield. You don't need to go around the Mediterranean. You can just go next door. Your mission field starts where you are.